So the Lord takes care of us every way. He takes care of us preaching. He takes care of us with our singing. He takes care of us just every way providing for us. A wonderful, wonderful Lord. I want to talk to you this morning about our Lord Jesus Christ being called the door. If you'll turn to John 10, we'll read the first nine verses. And then we'll center upon our Lord Jesus Christ being the door, as he says he is. John 10, verse 1 through 9. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some, some other way, the same as the thief and the robber, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Now this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee again and again and again for thy word. The fact that we can own it, we can read it, we can meditate upon it, and we can tell others about it. And when we read it, thou dost speak to our heart about it, lifting up our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful hope we have in life. Others that don't know Christ, don't know the Scriptures, what hope do they have? What is life? As our Lord says, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what have you profited? And this morning, as we take these few verses of Scripture about the door, we ask you to bless it to our hearts in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. There's a lot of things that our Lord compares himself to in the Scriptures. And this is a very, very common, a common thing to us human beings. Now, how many times a day do you use a door? A door is so common that no matter if you pull it, push it, kick it, knock on it, lock it, or bolt it, it doesn't impress you. Yet its necessity and reliability is always there. You always need it, and it can be very safe for you. So Christ, who spoke words wiser than Solomon, 
compared himself to a door in respect of the necessity of the children of men to enter into eternal life. We find our text in the sheep chapter, chapter 10 of John. Always remember, if you hear chapter 10, it's the sheep chapter. And that's as sweet as any chapter in God's Word. Now bear in mind that Christ calls his elect sheep. Bear in mind that Christ is the shepherd of his sheep who lays down his life for the sheep. We didn't read that. That's in verse 11 and 15. Look at it. Just a second. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So let's see now how Christ is like a door. Well, a door is of the same substance as the house. If a house is made out of wood, and they generally are, so is the door. Well, Jesus Christ, this spiritual door, was of the same substance in respect of his human nature that men are, alike in all things, sin accepted. Look at Hebrews 2.14. is going to tell us how he was made exactly like we are. Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's us, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death. See, you've got to have flesh and blood in order to die. Angels can't die. Spirits can't die. Your soul can't die. But your body can. He also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now, our Lord is often called in Scripture a man. Uh, that's what I'm talking about, taking our nature. He's called a man. Look at the First Timothy 2.5. This is a very important one because this is since the resurrection. This is after our Lord Jesus Christ has gone back to heaven. He is still called a man, which... Folks like the Jehovah Witnesses can't get through their thick skulls. They think he's a spirit, and they have to change the scriptures in order to try to prove that, but they can't. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who is God and man. That's why he's a mediator. He has an in on God's side, and he has an in on man's side. Now, man is the one that needs the mediator, okay? Now, he was so much of a man that his neighbors actually didn't see anything else. Look at Matthew 13, verse 54. Matthew thirteen fifty four. He was just a common, ordinary person like anybody into the eyes of his neighbors. And that's kind of understandable, isn't it? 
What if you and I grew up in a neighborhood and there was a family of boys and girls down the street, well cared for, well respected parents, daddy worked hard, he was a carpenter, and then one of those kids would say that he's God. I think you would kind of question it. Well, they did too. Now look at uh, verse 54. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Whence has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Now, we've watched this kid work in a carpenter shop all of his life. Where did he get these words? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this, is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then has this man all these things? And look, are they happy about it? Uh-uh, no. They were offended in him. See? That's the trouble with people. Their heads aren't screwed on properly. Once Adam fell... Something happened to the mechanism in man's mind and heart, and it's gone. Now, a door is fitted by the power and wisdom of its maker and designer for an intended purpose. Now, hanging a door is an art. You've got to hang it just right. It's got to be planned in just the right place. Now, Jesus Christ is fitted by the power and wisdom of him who had a plan and purposed all things according to his own purpose and grace. Turn to 2 Timothy 1.9. 2 Timothy 1.9. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not come on the scene just because it just happened, the Big Bang Theory, that something flew out into space, and here it was. Come on, all that's garbage. Just plain garbage. 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, that's where Christ the door was framed. That's where the intricate plan to hang the door began. Now, according to his good pleasure, according to his own purpose and grace, but it's also according to his good pleasure, as you'll see in Ephesians 1.5. Ephesians 1.5. having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. You see, nobody advises God. Nobody uh, can tell him what to do or how to do it. He does everything according to his own purpose and grace and also according to his own good pleasure. Does God have pleasure? God's pleasure is in saving sinners. Strange. You know, you and I find lots of interesting things that could be our pleasure. And God, the most powerful, the owner 
of heaven and earth. His pleasure is in saving sinners. There's nothing else that God takes pleasure in, according to the Scriptures, than saving sinners of all things. When you consider who they are and what they are, where they come from, you and I, God's pleasure. Well, a door is set apart or has a place in the house which other parts of the house are not fit for. Now, you wouldn't put the, your main entrance door in the attic. Or you wouldn't put the main entrance door in the back of your bedroom. Now, Jesus Christ is sanctified or set apart by God the Father to be a mediator and Savior, which no other besides himself is fit for. He's going to be placed perfectly by God the Father for a purpose. And that's... We've already read 1 Timothy. No, 1 Timothy 2.5, that's good. That's, we can read that again. 1 Timothy 2.5. He was made to be a mediator. There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Turn to John 10, 36. John 10 is our sheep chapter. That's where we started out. We have verse 36. Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world. You see, God the Father put him aside, set him up from before the foundation of the world, and then sent him into the world in due time. Now, a door is of absolute necessity in a dwelling, and that's the only way of getting in or out. It's necessary. And Jesus Christ is of such absolute necessary necessity, rather, that none can be happy without him, the reason being that all have immortal souls to save. Why do people like to shun this topic? Is that the wedding last night? talked with relatives I hadn't seen years. They can talk about everything in the world but about their soul. And these relatives, knowing that we've been involved in religion, preaching, want us to know that they haven't left, they haven't forgotten everything. They go to church they love their church. They love their pastor. But I know what's out there in those churches. They sugar them up, butter them up, keep them coming, keep them happy. This thing of having an immortal soul, and that soul going to have to pay for sin unless the Lord Jesus Christ paid for it is serious. This is serious business. 
Turn to Proverbs 8. Look at verse 35 and 36. Proverbs 8, 35 and 36. Proverbs is right after Psalms. Proverbs 8. For whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul, and all they that hate me love death. John eight twenty four. John 8, 24 says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now, there's no such a thing as somebody taking their chances. There's no such a thing as somebody waiting it out to make sure, which is just like saying you're going to take your chances. You either come to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the reasonable thing for anybody to do when you've got the gospel, you've got the Bible, you've got the instruction, and the Lord has spoken to your heart through it, the sensible thing is to make sure that your soul is secure. You don't have to worry about your children. You don't worry about your husband. You don't worry about your wife or your mother or your daddy. Whatever they have done in their religion or in their life, as far as that goes, that's between them and God. What the important issue is between you and God. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the important thing. You see, he, he's the only way. He says that in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Right here, he said, if you don't believe in me, you're going to die in your sins. Know what that means? You spend eternity in hell because you have broken God's rules people saying they're free to do whatever they want to on earth. Are they kidding? They get away with a lot. And God lets them alone. You see, the, the thing that happens to all of God's people as he interferes into your life. Now, you don't like it. Especially at first, you don't like God to interfere into your life. Because you're doing too good. You're having such a good time. It's all going down great. If God don't interfere into a life, you're in trouble. Remember how Ray talking? Talking a little bit to us about God interfering into his life? Let him build it up, build it up, build it up. Now he's going to take it down, take it down, take it down. That's not the important thing, taking down. A person can be very wealthy and be one of the Lord's. It's because all things that we have are a gift of God. But when you leave him out, when you totally leave him out and say, look what I have done like Nebuchadnezzar did then, if you're one of his, you're really in trouble. 
A door is the proper entrance into a house. Sure, you can enter through a window, but that's the wrong way. And that way is used by thieves and robbers. We read that in John 10.1. But the door is the proper entrance. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ said that he was the door. Now, what is he a door to? Well, in the verses that we read, he's a door to the sheepfold where the sheep will come in and go out of, but will go there for safety and security while they are here on earth. Sheepfold is an earth-bound expression. But our Lord Jesus Christ is also our door to heaven. Jesus Christ has the honor and office of letting all true believers into the possession of an internal, eternal inheritance purchased by his blood for them. Turn to John 14, 6, and let him explain it to you in simple, simple words. there's any scriptures in the Bible that we should really know, this is one of them. I know when we were kids, they would teach us John 3.16 and in Romans uh, 3.26 or 23. But th this is a great verse of scripture here. This is as dogmatic and as centralized of the gospel as there is. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way the truth and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, if you believe this, your life will be changed, totally changed out. Others can read it and read it and read over it and read over it, and it's just another verse of Scripture. This is our God-man. This is our substitute sin-bearer, redeemer, speaking. And he's speaking this before he ever went to Calvary and paid that sin price. And he's saying, I am the way. Now you would think, anybody claiming something as great as that, they would be an egotistical person. People would say, why do you think you are the way when we've got another way? Or there's a lot of folks think the same thing. There's only one person could have ever said this. And that's our God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling you, he's telling me, he told the disciples, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, the important thing, back in the consciences of every person, is there's something a matter with me, and I want to get it straight. Or rather, I know I've got to get it straight if I want to obtain eternal life. See, eternal life is, is, is rooted deep down in us. People don't think they're going to die here, period. No matter how old they get or how sick they get, 
they still think that death is a long way off. They can be in a hospital, coughing, insides burning, rotting, and they still think they're going to get better and go home and they're going to live a long time. They don't even want to think about death. Those that are relatives to them, they don't want to think about death. Well, it's going to get us all. It's the most common thing there is. There's a joke that says, you know, death and taxes are inevitable. Well, the taxes, sometimes we find a way to squeeze out of that, but not death. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to come to the Father. And we've got to come to the Father sometime before we die. And we have to come there through Christ. And when we come to the Father, we've got to have our sins forgiven. So you don't want to go to the Father without your sins being forgiven. No, you'd be cast into hell immediately. If you could go into God's presence the way you are now, you'd be cast into hell. But by having a substitute or a surety like we talked about last week, someone paid your bill, paid for your sin, you have nothing to worry about. And then the promises in the Scripture are so wonderful besides that. You know, you're usually an outcast <laughs> in family, friends, everywhere. When you come to Christ, you, you will be. You will be. And he knows you're cast out. You got no place to go. He said, I'm going to adopt you into my family. Now you're a son of God. You belong in my family. You don't have to worry about other families, your family family that has people dying, family you're going to leave, family that gives you a hard time. Yeah. We're adopted into God's family. We're called sons of God. In fact, the Apostle John wanted to impress the people with that. Turn to First John just a minute, way in the back of the Bible. First John. First John chapter 3 and verse 1. This is so great. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Oh, how did that take place? It's because we came by the way. We came by Christ. That's the only way you get to the Father. So if the Father's bestowed this on you, you've already come by Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not, beloved, but now are we the sons of God. Come on, no matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody thinks, we're the sons of God. Father said, I'm not going to leave you orphans in this world. Now you're in my family. I'm going to take care of you. Isn't that great? You don't have to worry about anything. Now are we the sons of God, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Isn't that wonderful? Thirty-three years old in a body that won't sin. That's being like him. That's how old he was when he died. And he had a body that his body never did sin. Our new bodies won't sin. 
You say, well, what if I slip and fall sometime back there? And you don't do that. You will not be capable of sinning. Isn't that wonderful? That's the power of God going to do that. That's not the old you. That's not the old slick you that thinks, well, maybe I can get away with it one time. No. You won't be able to sin. And you'll be the happiest thing in the world because of it. We know that when he shall appear, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay. Jesus Christ is the common passage to the mercy of God, to the household of God. And let's turn to Romans 8 and look at verse 14 through 17 for that. Romans 8, 14 and 17. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You see, this, all of this is totally amazing. Not only are you taken as a beggar from the dunghill and then adopted into God's family like we just read there, but then you share in an inheritance as if you were really born into this family originally. It's only original kids in the family that get to share in an inheritance. You see, I come from a family that has no inheritance. None whatsoever. No grandmas or grandpas that had anything or any money. Father didn't have anything, divorced my mother after 25 years of marriage. He died a pathetic death a few years later of cancer, the liver, bone marrow. No inheritance there. My mother died out being taken care of by my sister in California. No inheritance there, nothing. I never, no, no, know what an inheritance is. Don't know what it is to have parents to help out. But here we share in an inheritance with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Creator. It's going to be amazing. I'm not going to try to make any jokes about what you're going to inherit but it's out there. I don't know what. A door has the same use to kings and rulers as it does to the poor and common man. In other words, the door isn't just for rich people. You've got one, too, no matter how poor you've been. There's even a door to the outhouse. Our Lord Jesus is useful even 
to the richest because they cannot redeem themselves. Look at Psalm 49, verse 7 and 8. Psalm 49, 7 and 8. Now, whether you're rich or poor, this applies. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. It'll always be precious. But you see, verse 6 says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in a the multitude of their riches, they can't redeem their brother. They can't redeem themselves. Peter says that our redemption is not by silver and gold. All right. Turn to Acts 4 and look at verse 12. Acts 4, 12. Saying that folks can't redeem themselves or redeem another one? Well, that's exactly right. And 4.12 says this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's another reason why you couldn't have this Bible in a school. You've got too many people in too many religions that couldn't go along with this. This Bible stirs up controversy no matter where it goes. Now, if you've got some Korean kids in a classroom and some Jamaican kids in a classroom, and then you'll always have a few from Africa in the classroom, and some from Japan, maybe, they all have a name that they think is equal to the Lord Jesus Christ. Buddha, Shinto. I don't know what else goes on in India. They've got several different ones. How about a regular Muslim, a regular Arab in a classroom come from Iran, maybe? He's He's, he's going to worship Mohammed. That's why they can't have the Bible in a school. Don't feel hard on them for not doing it. There's a reason for it. It would destroy the school system if it was adhered to. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That knocks out the kids that go to the big church that want to worship Mary. You see, there's they say that Mary intercedes even for her son. <coughs> Biggest lie in the world. 
marries a poor sinner like you and I, selected for a certain job, carrying the Lord Jesus Christ. She said that her soul rejoiced in her Savior. My soul rejoices in my Savior, same Savior. Lord has a job for all of us, but there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, they may be a king or president or any world leader. They'll be brought to a common level of poor in spirit, broken in heart before they ever enter the door to eternal life. All come to the same place of entering the door. No matter what your background, no matter rich or poor, white or black, what language you speak, the education you've had, you're all going to be brought to the same level at the feet of Christ before you ever enter into the door. Take a look at Psalm 51:17. Psalm 51, 17. Here's God's favorites. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Now, you thought there was a, to bring a lamb or a sheep or a bull or a calf or something. No. God's sacrifices are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, thou wilt not despise. Isaiah 57, 15 going to tell us the same thing. Another author. God letting you know. 57.15 For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. That's going to stop everybody right there. Inhabits eternity, you can't even comprehend that. His name is holy, you don't like that. But that's our God. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's God's favorites. Not proud, haughty people, but those that have a broken heart, a contrite spirit. One quick scripture left to show you that is in Matthew 5, verses 3 through 6. Now here's our Lord Jesus Christ teaching on that same thing. Matthew 5, this is called generally called the uh, Beatitudes, and they're very spiritual. Verses 3 through 6, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's Our Lord said that. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, and blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. How many folks do you know that hunger and thirst after righteousness? You see, righteousness, the only true righteousness there is, remains in our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he performed righteousness. He never sinned. So there's a righteousness in Christ. Do you know anybody that hungers and thirsts after Christ? Well, there's a few. You're very fortunate if you do. We're fortunate to have those in our small assembly here that hunger and thirst after Christ. 
Remember my friend Ray? What was he talking about? He was hungering and thirsting after the Lord Jesus Christ. There was nothing in this world that he hungered after. Not a thing. But he told us about many things that he used to hunger and thirst after. But you see, when the Lord turns things around and gives you a hunger and thirst after righteousness, our Lord said, you shall be filled. Isn't that wonderful? Well, let's see what we've got left here. A door gives access to all parts of the house, to the kitchen for food, to the living room for comfort, and rest to the bedroom for sleep, to the study for books and reading, to the closet for garments, to the bathroom to shower and to bathe. There's a door into all of those areas where Jesus Christ let the souls of men into the best parts and privileges of heaven, of glory and blessedness itself. They just don't eat. They feast at the king's table and drink of the water of life. That's the door into the kitchen. They just don't wear clothes. They have an imputed righteousness for a wedding garment. White robes without spot or wrinkle. That was in Ephesians 5.27. They don't just wash up. They're bathed in the blood of Christ. Revelation 1.5. And that's where... That's the door to the bathroom. Not just washing off dirt, but sins. And when they enter the study, they just don't read any book. When Christ is the door to the study, they have a book that is eternal, which informs about all affairs and times past and gives a true account of our state in the world to come. Eternal life is in Christ. Forgiveness of sins by him, justification through him, riches of glory and grace through him. Christ being the door makes it easy and simple for the poor to enter into the best meeting place to obtain gifts and refreshment. As he calls, they come and receive the bread of life and the water of life. He not only nourishes, but he heals also. The deaf receive hearing, the dumb their speech, and the blind their sight. Here's our last scripture, Luke 4.18. Luke 4.18, where our Lord tells...